the only way you can really compete is by price, for one thing, right? Or by relationship. And the relationship is the competitive advantage that somebody else can't be on. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt Rouse and Jeremy Marcotte. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm your host, Jeremy Marcotte, and I'm here with Matt Rouse. Hi, Matt. Hi, Jeremy. And today we've got two special guests. We've got Scott Burson, also with Hook SEO. Hi, Scott. What's up? How you doing? And we've got David D'Angelo from D'Angelo Auto Sales. Hi, David. What's up, guys? Hey. So today we're going to talk about disrupting negative customer expectations. So, Scott, who are you? What do you do? I'm one of the managing partners of Hook SEO. I do most of the behind-the-scenes things, which is why a lot of people don't know what I look like or who I am, operations, technology, and uh, I happen to be visiting, so enjoying the rain. So we put him to work, ladies and gentlemen, when he comes to town. So he works once a year, and we have proof. That's right. right Yes. (laughs) And then David D'Angelo, what do you do? I am an auto broker for new and used cars. We have a small outfit over in Hillsboro where we stock anywhere from 60 to maybe 80 cars, and we help people find cars that they love. Simple enough. We've Super all, simple. We've all been to a car, well, maybe we've all been to a car dealership or we've seen cars or heard cars. Don't want to exclude the blind people. Everybody's seen cars, I think. <laughs> You're excluding blind people. That's right. Okay. Everybody has seen or heard a car. Okay. Never so, I'm just going to stop. Before we get too far off track, which is going to happen definitely, but I bought a car from David. You bought a car from David. Scott bought a car from David. I mean, all of us here have bought a car from David at this point, I think. And as well as most of the people we know who buy a car in town have bought one from David, right? Right. And I think that the reason that that happens is that the experience that you get going through D'Angelo Auto Sales is completely different than the general car buying experience that most people have. And this is really why we want to have you on the show is because it's disrupting an industry except not disruption through technology, which is what most people think of, right? They're like, cab companies didn't see Uber coming and didn't know that every car on the road was suddenly going to potentially become a taxi, right? And that's a technology disruption. But this is a different kind of disruption. This is a disruption based on an industry that has a record of what I would say is is generally just bad service, right? And it may not be, I'm not talking about service departments and things like that. I'm saying like, Just when we had Michelle on the show, right, a few episodes ago, she had said that the last time that she went and bought a car from a car dealership, she cried on her way home. Like, that's the kind of experiences that people have, right? And I remember when I bought my first and, and only new car that I actually ever bought, my friend and I came from a sales background. And so we're trying to basically work the system that because we knew how the sales process goes. And we spent 14 hours at the dealership. That's insane. Right? And yeah, I mean, it's crazy, right? And I think a lot of people have had that experience. And I don't think I'm alone or Michelle and I are not alone in the experience of frustration that you get and all of the things that they do to hard sell people or to just get rid of inventory on the lot that maybe isn't necessarily what they want. Or Mm -hmm. there's all kinds of things, pressuring people to try and tire them out to make them just sign the paper to get, you know, get the deal done or I don't care discounting, yeah, discounting the car, but upping the finance charges or like there's all kinds of crap that goes on in the car industry, right? I mean, you obviously, you know better than I do, so. 
Why don't you walk us through kind of a generally if somebody calls you and they say, hey, I've been looking on the Internet. This is the kind of car I was looking at. What happens from there? Right. Yeah. So kind of to your point, what we've done is created this customer centric approach, which is basically backwards from what you find at a normal dealership. And when people call us, they'll say, yeah, I want to buy this type of car. And then we'll ask a series of questions to identify what that car looks like from budget to colors, to options, to utility. All these different questions will kind of shape how we find what they're looking for. And we'll take this wide angle approach and hone it in. And before we know it, we'll identify maybe one to three different types of cars We'll drive them, and then they'll say, yeah, this is a car for me. And we find the best value. Before they know it, they're driving off with a new car. And that's not necessarily one of the cars on your lot, right? Not always, no. We have to keep cars on our lot just for general lead generation. Sometimes people are looking for a Jetta or a BMW. We have them in stock. And the thing with cars, you can buy a car anywhere. The Internet has created a marketplace that... People can shop from home on their iPad when they're looking at shows at night. The shopping for a car is different than it used to be, but it's how you buy that car that really will set us apart from any of the competition. Right. So when I bought my car, you actually called me, Mm -hmm. which automatically is already different than most experiences that most people have, right? Because you and I had been talking and I said, hey, you know, I want to get a new car. I have this car. It's a piece of shit. I want to get rid of it. And... Uh, quarter for the swear jar. Quarter for the right? swear jar. <laughs> but seriously, that car is a piece of shit. But anyway, so I wanted to get a new car. I wanted something that I didn't want to spend a whole bunch of money, but I also wanted something that looked better when I'm going to networking events and clients and stuff, you know, so I wanted something with, you know, a little bit more kind of status to it, right, right? Than, than what I had just for the priming your customer kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you called me and you're like, hey, somebody just traded this car in. Do you want to come drive it? And I was like, sure. So I came in, I drove it. It was great, and I bought it, and I drove it here today. I mean, I've still been driving it for like three years now. Slam dunk, yeah. Yeah, and it took us 10 minutes to get all the paperwork filled out when I got there. I just gave you a check, signed my name, drove away with the car. It shouldn't be hard to buy something that you want. Yeah, right. it right. took like yeah. 10 minutes. So mm-hmm. that's that's a little bit of an outlier from what most people go through. There's financing right. and stuff like that too. But even having financed a car through you, if it's going to take more than 20 minutes, you're like, hey, go do something. I'll get this figured out and I'll give you a call when it's ready. You're not holding them hostage for 14 hours. In my wife and I's yeah. last case, when we bought from a dealership, 10 hours, and they wouldn't let us leave the lot. They're like, no, we'll order you food. What do you want? Like, no, we want to go get food. Right. That's so wild to me. Or they're like, why don't you let me hold your credit card so I know that I can tell my manager that you're serious. Yeah, or, throw your keys like, on oh, the roof. Throw your keys. <laughs> like, just BS things that people do. For right? sure. So that negative connotation, that negative feeling that we get when we go to it, like sometimes it's cool, right? You go, you're still there for four or five hours, right? But it's not been a real negative experience if, aside from the fact that it takes forever. But still, that's just, it's a different experience when you said earlier, you take a customer centric approach. Scott, you bought a scooter in a different country recently, right? How was that experience for you? Well, that was fairly easy because it's a good tourist rental place and they buy a new scooter, rent it for nine months, and then he sells it to locals at discounted price. Everything in Costa Rica is done through lawyers from the most basic thing on up. So basically, I wrote it. He said, you like it? I said, yes. 
We got a lawyer to then drop the paperwork. I paid him cash. I paid the lawyer cash, which worked out to about 150 bucks. Mm-hmm. And she did all the paperwork to get it in my name. And I was driving it before it was in my name. They just took paperwork like I was renting it. Mm-hmm. And once the paperwork was complete, they just tore that up and mm-hmm. considered it mine. So. And you've been there over a little over a year yeah, now. I've been there so about 15 local. months. Mm-hmm. I'm a local, yeah. <laughs> I'm so, and well, I am. I mean, you walk around and locals sometimes, certain places, you get different right. discounts and specials. And, you know, and I'm in a small town. So, but I did buy a car through this dude over here and he made it easier. I had some difficulties unrelated to that. And, uh, you know, the car was there. There were two cars I wanted. My first choice, he told me no. He said, you know what, there's a little problem with it, but we still don't know how to resolve it, so we're not going to sell it to you in case it's a bigger problem. So I took the other one. You know, I mean, right there, car dealership's going to sell me whatever they have. They just want to get it out the door. Yeah, if you go on like an old used car lot, like an old style one, right, they want to sell the car that has the problem they don't know. Yeah, they have all this as is. Get it out the door as quick as possible (laughs) so they don't have to pay to fix it. So right. it turns out David wanted it for himself and said it was had a problem, and I took the other one. No, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he he refused to sell it to me because there was an issue with it that they couldn't resolve. I had an old car lot years ago before we even had our current company together. I did some work for used car lots where I'd written some software that would put used cars on Craigslist, and they were using it. And then Craigslist started charging to put cars on, so they didn't want to use it anymore. But they still owed me a bunch of money. And I guess he owed a bunch of other people money, too. So what he did is he filed for bankruptcy, sold the business to someone else he knew, sold it back to himself under a new name and never left the lot and never moved a single car. And instead of like whatever it was called before, I'm just going to make up a name not to call them out. Right. (laughs) But, you know, instead like it was Joe's used car and now it was Joey's used car kind of thing, you know. And I'm like, well, where's my money? He's like, oh, I can't pay you because we went bankrupt. And I'm like, but you're still the same person sitting on the same car lot with the same signs and the same cars. Like, in some cases, right, a very kind of scammy business and they have poor business practices. And that was my first car bearing experience. I was 19. I, uh, a lot, it was Thomas Auto Sales in Lewiston, Idaho. And I bought a car. And the next day, like they sold me, they're like, yeah, we're going to be here for a long time. So if you have any problems with the car, just bring it back. We'll go ahead and fix it. All of the things. Right. And literally the next day, that lot was empty. The building was locked up and everybody was gone. And I'm like, what? No the, way. What? It That's was terrible. It is. And there's no place to call and say, hey, I bought an extended warranty. This was 2004. Where do I go to get these things fixed? I just bought this car. And they're like, well, there's nothing you can do because the place went bankrupt and they closed. And I'm like, that doesn't happen overnight. I didn't think. Yeah, they they definitely knew that. At least somebody there knew that was coming. Mm. It wasn't right. overnight. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't no, overnight. That was coming. It never is. Yeah. Right. Because <laughs> that's that. they only had 50, 60 cars on the lot. So it's not something unheard of to be able to move that many cars in a day. But still, right. what the crap? Yeah. So, so let's get back on track a little bit. So <laughs> talking about customer experience, right? Which is something, I mean, I literally wrote a book about it, right? Yep. So like, I don't want to maybe not situationally talk about it, but you know, you and I were in business networking groups and stuff together. And a lot of times you talk about kind of redefining the customer experience or redefining how people buy cars. How did that whole thing kind of come about? Like, how did you get started, you know, instead of going into kind of a used car sales model, like normal, like how did you diverge from everybody else and what they're doing? 
if you look at kind of how we got into business, my dad's been doing this forever. He has never worked for a big car dealership. When I came on board with him, he was primarily populating local big dealer lots with their pre-owned car inventory. Big dealers up in Seattle would call us up, say, hey, we need 20 of these. He would send two truckloads of cars in as a buyer and basically wholesale them cars. When the recession came around, the whole marketplace changed. And interestingly enough, the internet was emerging at the same time, Mm -hmm. uh, car sales. I think autotrader.com debuted in 03, 04 area. And it was revolutionizing the way that cars were sold. And all this information was available to clients and people buying cars. So kind of what we did was take the wholesale model and box it up and make it available to people shopping on the internet. And then through relationship marketing, kind of like we do, we were able to ask the questions of the people shopping with us and say, hey, why are you buying this car? Why do you need this car? And we really asked the questions, why? And then if we could solve a problem for them and then do it in a way that we would want it done to ourselves, you know, it was uh, kind of like a match made in heaven. And that's really what it came down to is shortening the sales process, meeting or beating customer expectations and being a professional, but not in a sketchy shark kind of way that you would expect from a skeezy used car dealer, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of where we went with it. And it's developed into this new thing that is more of like a concierge service where we're helping people and we can be happy about it. And proof kind of comes all the time. But over the weekend, you know, we, we sold, I think, like five or six cars on Saturday. And four of those cars, customers have come in before. I sold one to a lady. It was their fourth car they bought from us. And then another guy, I think he, it was like his eighth or something. My dad's known him forever. Right. And, and that return business is really what solidifies what we do and lets us know we're on the right track. Talking about that whole, like, simplifying the process. I mean, I know I've talked to a couple people who are looking for new cars, and they're like, oh, yeah, I just called David, and I said, hey, this is what I want. These are the options that I want. And he came back, and he had a good price for it. So I went and signed the paperwork, and two days later, the car showed up at my house. Like, most people, when you tell them that story after they've recently bought a car, they don't think that's true. They don't think it's real. This isn't even possible, right? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of going back to what you were saying about when car selling on the internet started to be a thing and car research started to be a thing, the person who's walking in a lot of times now knows more about the car than the salesperson does because they need to know 200, 300 models of cars, whereas the person who's walking in has been researching this car for, you know, three weeks or however long. Exactly. They know everything about the one car, right? And you used to have to get the information about the car from the dealership right? They were the only people who could tell you about the car because they had all the information. But now the consumers have all the information. So the only way you can really compete is by price for one thing, right? Or by relationship, right? And the relationship is the competitive advantage that somebody else can't be you on. Somebody can't steal away your customer if you give them the best service and you also have, you know, a comparable price, right? Right. 
Well, especially if they know where the money's going and it's like for like, right. they would much rather give it to you knowing that your kids are going to spend that money and they're going to find their happiness with it opposed to XYZ dealership sales guy getting it and who knows if they got a better price or not. And you've also involved your family, your own personal family in the business, not just you and your dad, right? Like Sarah works with you, taking some photos and stuff now, right? Doing yeah. some social media stuff. And the boys and are killing it selling yeah, cars. Yeah, they are. And your boys are so cute in those little <laughs> photos, right? They're all trying to look cool in front of the Audi Always or the Mercedes, looking cool, right? Yeah. Or in the convertible. Everything's a race know. car. Right. Everything's a race car. I love it. <laughs> to their defense, when, when dad sells Audis, Mercedes, and high-end cars, everything is a race everything car. Everything is yeah. a race car. Touché. Except for the smart car. Right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Which is a whole other conversation. <laughs> but I've seen David driving said smart car, and he drives like a madman. They're fun to drive, dude. They, Let's they're like say little they're like rocket go-karts. Surprising. <laughs> the they're newer surprising. ones, anyways. The older yeah. ones are a little slow. The electric one. How's the get up and going then? They're not bad. Nice. So we're talking about the car industry specifically, right? Because the customer service experience when you go into a car dealership is a pain and people don't really like it. But disruption comes, like we said earlier, in many different forms. So what's something else that you guys have seen that is kind of being disruptive? Matt's used the technology thing with Uber and cab companies. So have you seen anything else that's kind of being disrupted? Well, it's a whole bunch of stuff being disrupted by AI right now. And those changes are kind of still in their infancy, but they're going to be huge fast. So most people don't realize that they're using AI every day, right? Every time that you punch somewhere into your phone and it figures out the best route based on traffic and all that stuff, it's an AI. Nobody programmed that route. And every time that you know, you're using some kind of software that has any kind of matching or you're on Amazon or you're on whatever it is, you, you're getting an advertisement, an AI figured out how to give you that ad. Every time you see a post on Facebook, an AI decided which one you should see. It's wild. Right? So those are industries that have already been disrupted, right? And and I don't know if I would call it disruption because, I mean, it's still programmers still working on software, right? But Robotics and uh, drone technology and stuff has done a lot of disruption lately. You and I went to the business expo and we saw those drones that map the outside of the buildings and they With look the for like x rays and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and they too. can x ray to see the inside structural damage and stuff like that. So they can tell if the building's going to fall down if there's an earthquake. Wow. Right? With a drone yeah. that'll see through the walls of the building as it flies around down to what did he said? It was like a tenth of a millimeter or something. Yeah. Yeah, and then if they see a problem from the outside, then they go inside and actually, you know, spend a little more time. Yeah, I could 3D map the whole building from the outside. That's wild. It's way cool. The industry that I think that I've seen more and more of lately being disrupted is the restaurant industry. Yeah. The food carts Mm -hmm. are phenomenal. BG's Food Cartel in Beaverton is a perfect example of that. They've set up a really good place for people to go and eat, and you no longer have to try to fit within the, the menu if... You know, I go out with my wife. I like Thai. And maybe she wants a bowl of pho or maybe she wants a taco or something, right? And Damien always wants his sushi and rice. So we go, we get what we want, and we sit down and have a nice dinner. And if we want a beer, then we just go grab a beer and, you know, it's good to go. So that industry, the restaurant industry, is being disrupted by food carts and people actually, you know, getting together and, and doing that. But, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff being disrupted. What do you guys got? Well, 
seen um, before Scott goes on to it of talking about restaurants still. I was just at a nice restaurant the other day. It was like a fast casual restaurant. You go up and they have a kiosk and you have like a screen and you can see and you just say, okay, I want this and I want that. And he punches it all in. You can see it all come up on the screen and then you push your card into the little box and it takes the payment and everything. And then you can tip them from your phone when you get the receipt. Like it was, it was a pretty slick operation and you know, they bring your food. It was great. And everything about the food was nice. Everything was great. But just kind of that experience of like ordering and everything and paying was, was really, really fast and really optimized except it wasn't a fast food restaurant, right? It was kind of like a fast casual kind of restaurant that's not a chain. It was privately owned, one single restaurant, right? And they can have that kind of technology now where that used to be only like McDonald's and Wendy's could be the only ones who could afford that kind of technology. And now a small business can open up and afford to have that. Well, I mean, we can go back to, you know, Netflix, interesting story. And it hits home here in Oregon where they had this service. It was new. They had a quick exit strategy. They planned on selling to the video stores. And what was the big video store that went out of business here? They were going to sell to Blockbuster. Yeah, Blockbuster and Blockbusters. No, that's stupid. We would never do that. And Netflix survived and they didn't. So, you know, sometimes it doesn't have to be disruptive, but if you fight it and refuse to adapt, then you're hurting yourself. Well, the other thing is Blockbuster made all their money on late fees. And Netflix is like, no late fees, send it back when you're done. And that was the difference, right? Like they couldn't make that shift in their business because they made so much money on late fees. And Netflix came in and said, well, this is a customer service issue. It's not a how do we make money issue, right? It's everyone hates late fees. Mm -hmm. So we're going to make a service with no late fees. And that's basically how that whole thing started. It was a customer service disruption, right? Just like we're talking about with cars. I actually, I forgot they existed. I was driving last night and I looked over and saw a red box off in a corner somewhere. Right. Like, those are still around. Wow. I think they're doing a digital subscription now as well. Are they? Hmm. Makes sense, you know. And now even in that industry, you're starting to see a little bit of internal disruption. It's not changing it necessarily, but it's like we've been licensing to you and now we're going to jump on and we're going to take your license away and we're going to provide this. So mm-hmm. now you have the competition within that industry, which... Could be good, could be bad. It'll be great if I can, I don't care where I subscribe to if I'm getting the same service. If I've now got to subscribe to four different services just to get these type of shows, Mm -hmm. then yeah, I'm not going to be happy with it. Yeah, that's going to be one major problem with the OTT industry is some shows are on HBO, some are on Netflix, some are on CBS, some are on this one. Disney has their own channel now and they bought a whole bunch. I think they just bought Hulu, didn't they? And so there's all these different platforms. So you're going to need to subscribe. Like it would be different if they were like five bucks and, you know, you had 20 of them, five bucks, it's hundred dollars a month, still cheaper than cable anyway, but they're not, you know, they're like you know, 10 to $30 a month for each one. And now you're talking three or 400 bucks and then, yeah, maybe now it's not such a good deal anymore. Right. And when there's a shift like that, just like there was with Netflix, just like we're talking about with customer service and stuff, right. Is there's a cultural shift. And the cultural shift is that people get used to the new way of doing it slowly, but surely they get so used to it that they can't go back and they don't remember how they used to do it. And a perfect example is I was just literally yesterday, I was driving home. I taught a course, like a workshop, right? And I did a bunch of research and I had a bunch of meetings and my brain is like just completely full. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to drive home for 15 minutes instead of listening to a podcast or something for once. I'm just going to flick on the radio in my car. And I turned it on. And then it was just commercial, commercial, commercial for one. So it was kind of annoying at the start. But then I heard a commercial and it kind of gave me an idea. And I was like, oh, crap, I need to rewind that and hear what they said. And so I'm looking for the button 
on my radio, and I'm like, you can't rewind the radio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, because I'm so used to podcasts and playing music on Alexa or whatever and say, Alexa, rewind 30 seconds, or, you know, hitting the button on my podcast to go back and listen to it, that I just, like, I can't use the radio now. I've shifted so far away from that into the new things that I use that I can't go back. And, I mean, it's not like I couldn't live without it kind of thing, right? But I'm used to the new stuff now. Who wants to go back to the day that if you wanted to watch a movie, you had to pack up the whole family, go to Blockbuster, walk through, look at all the covers, read the back to see which one you wanted, and hope that they had the movie in that you want. Tell your kids no 50 million times. Tell your kids no to all the gumdrops and crap Mm -hmm. at the front desk, and then bring it back three days late, and it costs you $12. So that kind of comes back on point, right? David's disrupting the way we do cars, the way we buy cars. So if somebody is listening to this and they can't find you, first, how would they find you? Well, for starters, our website, D'AngeloAuto.com, would be number one. We've got all the contact info on there. And then through all our social media, Facebook, at D'Angelo Auto Sales, Instagram, at D'Angelo Auto. Those would be the best. Perfect. And if they can't make it to you or for for some reason they don't call you, what would you say are the top two, three things that they should do if they're going to buy a new car from big dealer A? Don't. Don't. (laughs) I guess it really depends on the dealer, you know. I mean, we know It really does. And there's great dealers out there. Right. And it just depends on who's working that day. So you got to find somebody you connect with, somebody you trust, and somebody who can almost act as a mentor and coach you along the way to help you figure out what is going to best fit your needs and solve your problems. Yeah, and we know some bigger dealers mm-hmm. that are that are good. You know, like oh, yeah. you, you can still work. Like we have Josh from Dick's Auto Groups, been on the podcast a couple of times. Yeah, you guys still work together, right? For Every like day. fleet and stuff like that, big right? Time. And so, I mean, not every big dealership is bad. That's totally not what we're saying. Not at all. Right. But also, and and you know what? I wanted to touch on this. I know Jeremy's trying to wrap it up, but I'm going to make it go longer. <laughs> so follow-up is one of the biggest problems of businesses that we see. And I was having a conversation with, you know, Ben Ficker, right? Oh, yeah. A commercial real estate agent. Works on, like, usually two to eight unit kind of investment property stuff. And we were talking about the statistics that came out from NAR. It's the National Association of Realtors on how many people can't remember who their last realtor was, so they use a new realtor when they buy a different property. And it was like 19%. They couldn't even remember who the realtor was who sold them their house. And then the number of people who actually used a different realtor without saying it was because they did not have a negative experience. So they just picked someone because they don't have contact with their old realtor, even if they do remember who it is. It was like 80-something percent. Like, it was super high. Yeah, those numbers are nuts. And... It doesn't take a lot of effort to do a little bit of follow-up, right? And you guys have a pretty good follow-up process, right? Oh, yeah, big time. Do you want to talk a little bit? I don't want you to give away all the secrets, right? right? But maybe talk a little bit about... Follow-up is number one. And that's kind of what creates the relationship. So if you approach every sale or every engagement with your clients as like something more meaningful than just trying to sell them something, but just giving them information and adding value, I would estimate that I talk to my clients roughly every six months, whether that be with a phone call, a text, an email, maybe I send them a card. Some media or communication happens roughly every six months. And because the car buying cycle is usually every 36 months on average, right? that's only six touches. And before you know it, you're doing another car. So and or their friends need a car in between their mom needs a car, somebody at their church needs a car. And you are top of mind. And it's the most important thing. Yeah, it's long-term 
thinking, right? Instead of how am I going to, you know, hunt and, and kill this one sale today? You know, like, go get my three cars. I got to sell three F-150s today to get the $100 spiff on my paycheck. There it is. The behavior that is encouraged is the behavior that's rewarded, right? You know, yep. like, so when larger dealerships are telling people, hey, get out there. How many cars have you sold me today? And, you know, rah, 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 all this kind of crap. They're just burning a bridge with every customer that they have, right? It's short-sighted and, thinking. Yeah, it's super short-sighted, and that's why they have to keep dropping a fortune on advertising is because they got to get a new customer every single time. Any industry, I mean, this too, it's right. people kind of forget that it's all building relationships, and I could go in and look at every car and hesitate and end up leaving and not buying anything and still have a good experience and still remember it for when I do buy a car or again, a friend asks, you know, versus some of those big dealerships or even small, you know, shady dealerships. I don't buy a car. They're pissed off and they think I wasted all their time. But you know what? If they act that way, then they wasted my time. Yeah. So the relationships there and you plant the seed and people are going to remember you when their friend asks, hey, you know, where'd you buy your car? Or, man, I'm looking for a car. Hey, you should go talk to, you know, David. And it doesn't matter what you're selling. It doesn't just apply to cars. But when you approach sales from a position of scarcity, you're going to react to what best benefits you and not your client or your customer. But when you can add value and help them do what they're trying to do, it will pay off a hundredfold down the road. I would rather tell somebody to not buy a car for me today, save some money, rebuild their credit, do X, Y, and Z in order to position themselves to be better suited moving forward. That gain right there for the client and not me today, maybe come back in six months, they get a car, but because I help them, we'll make them a lifetime client. Yeah, and I mean, from like back in the beginning and when Matt and I technically were even separate businesses working together, you know, our approach was always we're we're not salespeople, we're consultants. You know, we're going to tell you what's right for you, even if that is not to have us do X or don't change this. You know, yeah, we want to, we can do it for you, but what you have actually is sufficient. Maybe you're not using your tools right. You do this, do that, and you're good. So same thing. Yeah, in a 2019 world, the one who educates is the one who earns the right to sell. Anybody else is just out for their own motive, and people can see through it now. I mean, they're so tired of it. I think, you know, that might be a good spot to leave it off here, but I just absolutely, it was a pleasure to buy my car with you. And most people can't say that, right? Right, not, I appreciate Not it. about you, but I mean, yeah. they've had terrible, terrible experiences in the in the past, Right. Not only everybody that I sent you has also come back and told me what a good experience it is. And that's how you make a good referral business because you don't want to send one of your friends or family members or, you know, a business contact to someone who's going to not take care of them and they'll have a bad experience because it makes you look bad. But when they have a good experience, it makes you look good, right? So it's all about, like you're saying, it's all about the customer experience. It's about educating them. It's about follow-up. Just providing that extra mile customer service is the way that you build a competitive advantage. Absolutely. Let's leave it off with spelling your URL because I bet a lot of people don't know how to spell That's that. That's true. That is so true. D'Angelo, D apostrophe A-N-G-E-L-O, great Italian name. 
the internet hates it. So when you type in my website, it's just D A N G E L O autosales.com. Perfect. All right. Thank you guys for joining us and have a great week. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt Rouse and Jeremy Markon. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Now stay tuned for a preview of our next episode of Digital Marketing Masters. Join us next week as we talk with JC Rogowskis about how real estate investing isn't just for rich people and retirement and how the average Joe can get involved and start building wealth. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.